So we're just continuing our study through the book of Mark. Today we're going to try to cover uh, verses 31 to the end of the chapter. Mark 7, 31 to the end. So let's read it now. You follow along. I'll read it aloud in your hearing. This is the word of the living and true God. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Amen. We sang a hymn just a minute ago by Samuel Medley, written in 1776, called Now in a Song of Grateful Praise. And you noticed, as you sang it, that every single verse and every single chorus of that song has some variation of that phrase, he has done all things well. I love it. That's what his people, God's people, have been thinking and saying about our Lord Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years now. He has plucked us from the jaws of hell. He has done all things well. He has done, it means he has done all things splendidly. Everything he does and said is the epitome of good. Is that your view of Jesus? This passage here is going to illustrate for us in vivid detail, I think, how good the Lord Jesus is to pitiful, hopeless, helpless people. I bet you noticed, didn't you, uh, how different this miracle was when you read it just now? Different than some of the other, other ones that we've seen in Mark's gospel before. You know, what's up with the fingers and the ears and the spitting and the touching of the guy's tongue and all that, right? It's kind of weird, right? We might think that at first. What should we make of all that? Does that mean anything? And I, I just want to present you today, <clears throat> present to you today a Savior who does not stand aloof from people who need him, but he gets down on people's level and enters into their world with them, and he does marvelous things for them. In this passage right here, we see a 
desperately, a desperate man who needs Jesus' help. He's deaf, and he has a great difficulty speaking, at least with any articulation or clarity. And we know those two things typically go together, right? If you can't hear well, you generally can't speak well. Maybe you had a child uh, who had many ear infections when they were little or something, and their speech developed a little late because they just couldn't hear. So that's how this man was. It, it, it's very difficult to uh, learn how to speak properly when you can't hear. And actually, the Greek word here could actually mean that he was totally mute, unable to speak at all. That would fit the word that's used here. Let's think about this for a minute. Just together, just brainstorming. Can you imagine being deaf? Just imagine that for a moment. Some of you uh, have hearing issues. You wear hearing aids and so forth. You probably understand this more than the rest of us. You've lived it to uh, at least to a certain degree. Maybe you're not totally deaf, but you've, you've gotten a taste of maybe what it would be like, right? Think about how much sound adds to the human experience. We communicate through sound. You're hearing sound right now as I communicate to you. Spoken language. And sure, there's sign language now, but there's something about hearing the tone of somebody's voice that adds a little different layer on top of the mere words that just can't be communicated in the same way with sign language. Can't be replicated. We are, um, not only do we communicate through sound, but we are alerted through sound, fire alarms, alarms that wake you up way too early, right? A siren, or perhaps if we lived a long time ago, a war horn, or the sound of thundering horses, perhaps a gun going off, things that alert us to danger, right? Maybe you're hunting and It's the footsteps of a wild animal approaching from behind you. We're often alerted to danger through sound first. We also enjoy music through sound. Through our sense of hearing. Music just, ah, it can evoke just a a deep emotion out of us in a way that maybe other art forms don't quite do, at, at least in the same way. And sound also makes us feel connected to our surroundings, right? Think of all the atmospheric sounds that you hear every day. We hear them all the time. The, uh, the ambience of the forest, maybe. The birds chirping. The wind blowing through the leaves. Um, maybe the hustle and bustle of a city, if you're in the city. Maybe it's the long reverb of a cathedral or something like that. When we experience all those, um, all those atmospheric sounds around us, it places us in a context. We know where we're at by those sounds. We feel more 
connected to the world that way, right? It helps us make sense of where we are. I mean, a, a modern example, you've seen you know, musicians on, um, on TV, let's say, or maybe at a concert you've gone to. This is from the music technology world. Um, you know, most artists you see will have these little earbuds in their ears, right? They're called in-ear monitors. You can see the little wires going over their ears and usually going down their back to a little wireless pack or something. That's how they hear the music going into their ears so they can sing or play, right, to the best of their ability as they hear their fellow musicians, as they hear the music they're singing to. And what happens with those things, you put something in your ears, it blocks out all the noise of the room. And musicians will say, that, I, I can't perform like that. I feel like I'm in a box. I can only hear myself and musicians. I don't hear anything out where the crowd is, Right? And so you'll generally see mics set up at a concert that are pointing toward the crowd. You're like, what are those doing? They're picking up the sound of the crowd, and then they pipe a little bit of that feed back into the musician's ears, and now they feel like, oh, I'm in this room now. I don't feel like I'm in an isolation booth, right? I can hear the crowd. I can hear them clapping or cheering or whatever. I can hear them singing along. And without that piped in, the atmosphere is all wrong. The brain doesn't quite interpret it correctly. So that's just an example of how sound just affects us in so many ways. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But we take this in through our God-given sense of hearing. And most of us don't even quite fathom how it works or really appreciate it, right? We just take it for granted. So just imagine for a moment not being able to experience any of that. None of that. No sounds of danger. No spoken speech. No atmospheric sounds. No music. Just dead silence all the time. Such is the struggle of the deaf. One of my favorite commentators as I was studying this, Kent Hughes, he said this about deafness. He's kind of comparing it to blindness. He says, terrible as blindness is, the blind do not suffer the social pain and the stigma experienced by the deaf, the gawking, impatient stares of those who are not aware of one's condition. There's also the humiliation of being thought stupid because one cannot understand or speak. In this case, he's referring to the man here in Mark 7, in this case, the poor man could not ask questions, could not hear explanations, and undoubtedly could not read. This was the first century. The literacy rate would have been very low. So, wow, put, your man, put yourself in that man's shoes for a moment. He might could see, but he's, he's really still in a dark world, right, in some ways. He can't hear normal communication, doesn't know things like what's going on out in the larger world. He knows basic concepts. I mean, nobody can come up and have a conversation with him about some deep issue of life. 
Nobody can come explain to him what the local government is doing. Not in too much detail. He wouldn't understand. No one can tell him either what Jesus was doing or what Jesus was teaching. And he can't ask questions because he can't talk. At least not clearly enough for people to understand him. So what does Jesus do for this man? Well, he does all things well. And this is where any concept of Jesus in our minds of him being aloof from us, a distant Savior observing us from a distance goes right out the window. Does he care about people who's hopeless and helpless and who are alone in the world, just like imprisoned in their own silence? Just one noise would, be, would make my day. There's just nothing. Dead silence all the time. Let's see what he does for this man. He cares deeply for people like this. Look at what he does. First, there is the privacy. Jesus told him in verse 33, says he, he took him aside from the crowd privately. Now, he didn't always do that, did he? Sometimes he would heal a person right in front of a crowd. There's no privacy to it there. But he did it for this man. wonder why he did that. I think he wanted to make sure that the man knew exactly what was happening without all the distractions of his surroundings. He wanted to look the man in the face, and he wanted that man to look him in the face. I mean, think about how this man has lived his life thus far. If you can't hear, what are you going to have to do to have any situational awareness? You're going to have to always be darting your eyes around, right, to know what's going on. Jesus says, come over here. That would take a toll on your nerves, wouldn't it? Your anxiety level would probably be through the roof to have to watch everything around you. So Jesus says, hey, friend, with his actions, he says, hey, friend, it's, it's, it's just me and you. Come here. Don't pay attention to whatever, don't pay attention to any of this. Look at me. What does he do next? The touch. Verse 33 says, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and then spit, probably on his own finger, and then touched the man's tongue with his saliva. I don't think we should speed by that. I think... I don't think that this is just some weird thing that Jesus did for no reason. I think this is yet another example of Jesus condescending to where this man is currently at. He cannot tell him what he's about to do, so he shows him what he's about to do by his actions. He's saying, you know, his ears, you know the... These don't work. I know. These don't work for you. I'm about to fix them. And he touches his tongue to say, I know this doesn't work either for you. So I'm going to fix that too. It's like Jesus 
just meets the man right where he's at. It's just kind-heartedness, compassion on display. That's how he meets us too, by the way, isn't it? He meets us where we're at. It's a beautiful thing. Next we see the look. Verse 34, it says, and looking up to heaven. Again, the man would not have known who Jesus was. He can't listen to people around him tell him who Jesus was. He doesn't know what Jesus is capable of. He doesn't know what Jesus has been doing for other people. He doesn't know what Jesus has been teaching. And so Jesus shows the man another gesture to communicate to him what's going on. What does he do? He looks up to heaven so that the man can see him doing it. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121. He didn't want this man to mistake him for some... um, Cheap conjurer of magic tricks. This was not a witch doctor. So Jesus, he looks up to heaven as if to say, what I'm about to do comes from Almighty God. It's from God. And then what does he do? The sigh. Verse 34. That word can mean sigh or groan. So imagine a sigh like this as he looks up to heaven. It's like, (sighs) man would not have been able to hear the sigh, right? But he would have certainly been able to see Jesus' chest and shoulders, the movement going on to know he's sighing. What was Jesus communicating with that I think he was visibly communicating that he was moved he was saddened by this man's condition he's showing him that he cared Jesus was showing him that it bothered him that he had to experience deafness and muteness and of course Jesus could have said to himself well I'm about to heal this man in 15 seconds so what's the point in showing any sadness here. But that's not what he does. Jesus cared about this man's condition now. He did that at Lazarus' tomb, didn't he? He wept. Could have said in that case too, I'm about to raise him. It's a point in crying. It's about to be joyful here. But he wept. Just because he was going to raise him doesn't change the fact that the world is broken by sin to the point that people do die, right? Even your friends and your family. And that saddened Jesus that his friend Lazarus had to die like that. And I wonder if Jesus in that situation or even this situation in Mark 7, it's not recorded so it's pure speculation, but I I wonder if the thought crossed Jesus' mind You should have seen this world before sin. It was something. But look at where we're at now. There's a man here who can't hear. Look at it now. It's been ravaged 
by the effects of sin. And I think that's what this sigh is communicating. I'm saddened by the curse of sin on this world. I care, he's saying, about what has happened to you. I feel your pain. I'm with, I'm with you in it. It bothers me that the world is like this. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm, th- that there even is such a thing as deafness and muteness is a sad effect that sin has brought into my good world. But nevertheless, Jesus was here to not just lament it, but to fix it. Praise God. You do realize that's what's happening in his gospel, right? What is coming at the end of the age for the Christian? For God's saved people, what's coming? A new heaven and a new earth. We're going to live in a material world. Free from all the effects of sin. Once again, it will be very good, like Genesis 1.31 says. And no longer will sin ever be able to enter it. So think about that. No more death. No more pain. No more suffering. No more deafness. No more blindness. No more cancer. No more heart problems. No more diabetes. No more dementia. The Lord is on a mission to fix this place. And he's starting out with us. He's fixing us first. Not all the way, but he's starting his work now. When he glorifies us at his coming, then we'll be totally fixed. But he starts with our heart. He makes us a new creation now, even before the new creation starts. It's glorious. So there's the privacy, the touch, the look, the sigh. Then what happens? The word. Jesus says something. What does he say? Verse 34, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha. That is, be opened. That's an Aramaic word which is what Jesus would have spoken. And I'm betting that that man never forgot the sound of that word because it was the first word that he had heard in a long time. As Jesus spoke that word, his ears were opened and his tongue was released to where he could now speak and he could speak plainly and clearly. What a... uh, what a sensory overload that must have been like that, right? All of a sudden, ears are working again. The sound was flooding in now. He could hear the sounds of the city. He could hear his own breath again. He could hear the birds or the sheep or the goats or whatever might have been near him. It was like he was alive for the first time. He wasn't alone in his head anymore with no sound. And no sound out of all that sound was as sweet to him as the voice of the Savior in front of him saying, Ephaphatha, be opened. 
Well, I'm sure he never forgot that. As we read this, I don't know if it's striking you the same way, but as I read this account, and I've thought about it a lot this week, I'm really just moved by the care of Jesus. He's so, we might say he's so down to earth in some ways and yet not earthly in other ways, right? But he's compassionate, he's kind, he's tender-hearted. He takes this man off by himself, looks him in the eyes, demonstrates for him in a way that he could understand that he was about to heal his ears and his tongue. And then he looks up to heaven and he sighs this sigh of sadness for the man. And then he just gives the man a whole new life with one word. Amazing. Does Jesus care? You better believe it. Cares about every last thing you are going through and I am going through. He sees what sin has done in the world that you live in and I live in. He sees what sin has done in your life, in my life. He sees what kind of mess we're in. He sees how hopeless and helpless we sometimes feel, how dry we sometimes feel. And he loves to come in and fix things especially in an eternal sense, right? He meets us right where we are, and he's not a cookie-cutter savior. He knows what each person needs, and in a sense, we all need the same thing, but the way he brings us to that point is utterly unique. That's amazing. There's an old hymn that talks about the care of Jesus. You probably know it. If you've been going to church Perhaps your whole life you've probably heard this one. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear as the daylight fades into deep night shades? Does he care enough to be near? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? To resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes. He cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. I love that song. Jesus cares. And he chiefly 
demonstrated his care by coming to us and suffering in our place. If you ever doubt his love or his care for you, just take one look in your mind's eye at the cross. One look. He's up there for us. He loved us to the point of death. What would you do if you knew what was coming? The amount of suffering that you knew was headed your way. Did you keep going? He kept going. He knew exactly what he was getting into. He sweats great drops of blood in the garden. He's not naive about what he's about to enter into. He knows he's about to suffer the wrath of God for sin, and yet it does not cause him to turn around and run or try to wiggle out of it or say, you know what, these people aren't worth it. They're rebels. I think I'm done with this mission. It's too much. He didn't do that. He kept going. So does he care? What kind of question is that? Of course he cares. And if he died, and he was raised, and he promises all of his people that one day he's going to raise us with him, and bring us to heaven with him, then guess what? Everything's going to be all right. It might look a little funny down here. It might look a little chaotic at times. But everything's going to be all right for God's people. The people who saw the man in Mark 7... Perhaps come running around the corner where Jesus had privately been talking with him and, and, and talking with his hands, really. The people that saw that man come running around the corner, speaking plainly for the first time, actually hearing what, he, what they were saying to him, the text says they couldn't keep it to themselves. Jesus told them not to tell anyone, but they just could not hold it in says, the more he told them, the more they zealously proclaimed it. And I know we could go off on a side note on why would he tell them not to tell anybody. I don't want to go off too big of a side note, but I think what is happening here on a very simple level is he came to do something, and he wanted to keep the main thing the main thing. He came to atone for sin, not to be merely a physical healer. And so at various times he would say, Keep it quiet. And oftentimes they wouldn't. They would just go tell. You can hardly blame them though. How could they be quiet over something like that? It says they were astonished beyond measure. Utterly amazed to the max. And they said what our hymn said earlier. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There is a, a beautiful thing happening here that we haven't talked about yet, and I, wanna, I want you to see it in your Bible. Will you flip to one other passage with me right now? It's Isaiah 35, okay? Isaiah chapter 35. I'll give you a second to find that. 
Isaiah 35 is a prophecy about a time when the Lord's going to send his Messiah to save his people. And look at what he says is going to happen. A lot of things are going to happen, but look at one or two things he says are going to happen when this Messiah comes. This is verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 35. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in Mark chapter 7. He's checking off the list. Everything that's said about the Messiah in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth. He's opening ears. He's releasing the tongue of the mute to sing for joy. And what's really interesting is if you dig real deep there, the word even in the original language. This is one of those Bible nerd moments here. The word in Mark 7 for speech impediment in the Greek is a very unique Greek word that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's only used once in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So one in Mark 7, where do you think the other one is? The passage that we just read. Uses the same exact word and only in those two places in all of the Bible. When you see something like that, you can bet that Mark is purposefully drawing those two passages together. He's drawing a line from there to here. He's saying, hey, check this out. Jesus is healing deaf men and mute men. Oh, and you remember what the prophet Isaiah said would happen when the Messiah comes? Deaf men would be healed. Mute men would be healed. They would sing for joy. So guess what? He's just saying, I know I've been telling you all along from verse 1 of chapter 1 that he's the son of God, but he is. And here you go. Here's some more evidence. The promised one is here. That's pretty awesome when you see such a clear line drawn between those two passages with an absolutely unique word that's not used anywhere else. Now, We looked at some of the details of the miracle, the physical miracle, but I I want us to focus just for a few minutes at the end of the sermon here on the correlation between what we see that Jesus did here physically with what Jesus does spiritually even today, okay? This is like a bigger picture that this miracle is pointing to. Think of it like this. The world today is full of deaf people like this man. Spiritually deaf men and women. Spiritually deaf boys and girls. I'm talking about all of us before Christ changes us. We're deaf to his voice. We cannot and will not understand spiritual things. 
Sin has rendered us incapable of doing that. 1 Corinthians 2. The Bible says in several places that we're like people who have ears to hear but can't actually hear. The prophet Jeremiah says this. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? And the answer to that is, apart from Christ, no, we do not. Romans 3 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.18. Or Ezekiel 12.2 says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Now if we're deaf, stopped up ears, spiritually speaking, unable to hear God's voice or understand His truth, what has to happen for that to be fixed? The answer is Jesus has to come and fix it like he did for this man. And how does he do that in our day? He doesn't, you know, knock on our door. He's not here in the flesh anymore. He doesn't knock on your door and stick his fingers in your ears and spit and touch your tongue and say, remember when I did this in Mark 7? Well, you're healed too. What does he do now? He uses the power of God through the Word of God to open up your deaf ears. That is amazing. God, in the person of Jesus, spoke to this man and by the power of the Spirit of God through the Word opened up his ears. That's exactly what he's still doing today. The same miracle could occur at any time. Might happen today for someone. Somebody may have walked in here today spiritually deaf. And God could use his powerful word through a dumb, weak preacher to open up their ears for the first time to really hear the gospel with their understanding. Maybe they've heard it before, but they just really haven't. They haven't really heard it. You know what I mean? It went in and right out. But when God wants to, He sovereignly opens up the ears and people hear and the gospel takes root in their life. The mute part's spiritually important as well. I noticed there that Jesus, he opened up the ears and then he loosed his tongue. Isn't that what happens when people come alive to Christ? God gives them new ears to hear the shepherd for the first time and then he gives them a voice to go and proclaim the goodness of that shepherd to others. Open ears, opened ears leads to loosed tongues. Tongues that speak the gospel. The gospel that they now finally understand and embrace. They couldn't say anything before because they, they didn't even know what was going on. 
They really weren't even living yet. Spiritually deaf and blind and mute and dead, basically. But now Jesus has said, be opened. And now they have a new song to sing and a new message to proclaim. And I just, wanna, I just wonder how, if, if I can say something challenging to you this morning. I just wonder how you can have your ears opened to the most beautiful sound ever spoken and have your tongue loosed for the first time and yet not use it to tell about what happened to you. How odd would it be if this man, after being healed, just rounded the corner and the people are like, did he do it? He's like, You know, he doesn't tell them. There's no motivation there. The problem with us, and not just us here, I'm not talking about this crowd of people, this people. The problem with all of us Christians who are not yet glorified and still dealing with sin is that we are often cowards. We have like... We have canceled ourselves. Forget cancel culture. We just, we, we censor ourselves by being quiet with the greatest message that has ever been known to man. He's loosed our tongues and we keep our mouth shut. If he's opened our ears and he's loosened our tongues, then we ought to go and preach. Go and tell. Go and proclaim. That is the job of the Christian now. If you don't believe me, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's your mission now. Take that loosened tongue and use it for God's glory. That is your mission and my mission. Like the apostles, when they were arrested, beaten, told to quit preaching in Acts 5, did they stop? No, they did not. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Opened ears lead to preaching tongues. You are a preacher, Christian. You are a proclaimer of the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The hymn writer's words have come true. Hear him, ye deaf. His praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come. And leap, ye lame, for joy. We serve a God who opens up deaf ears by his powerful word and makes us ambassadors for his kingdom and he gets down on our level, he communicates with us in a way that we can understand, almost lisping like a little mother to her one-year-old, right? Shows us sympathy for what we're going through, weeps with us, sighs for us, groans with us, 
And he's done everything necessary for you to be made right with God. And all you have to do and all I have to do is come to him with the empty hands of faith and receive what he's accomplished for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's what he says. Amen. That's the Savior that we love and adore and worship. Loosener of tongues, unstopper of ears. Let's pray. Father, we're just stunned by the humility of Jesus to deal with this man like he did in Mark 7. Tenderness, patience, accommodation. And Lord, when we think about all the spiritual correlations, we see that he's done the same for us. He's graciously opened up our ears to hear what the scriptures have been saying all along, and we just were deaf to hear it. But when you said, be opened, we heard and we believed and we praise you for your grace to us poor, deaf, mute sinners. Pray, Lord, that you would take the word of God today and do that again for someone here today or perhaps someone in the future will find this recording and you will use it even then. Lord, that you would open their ears to finally hear the truth. Show your power by saving sinners. We long to see more of them coming into your kingdom and giving you the glory that you deserve. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.